I really enjoy the science of running. I like to read a lot and learn a lot. I go to different courses and that about running. But it's not just the running, it's the sports medicine part of it, recovery, the injury prevention things, the nutritional part of it, the performance aspect, and you know, it's all, all important. That was Dr. Wayne Crow, and this is episode 22 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Dr. Wayne Crow has been practicing medicine in the Comox Valley since 1983 and transitioned to semi-retirement in 2018. He strongly believes in food and movement as medicine and was a pioneer in his field in prescribing exercise and lifestyle modifications before medication whenever possible. Always an active person, Wayne didn't start seriously running until age 49, which makes his two hour, 49 minute and 58 second marathon PB that much more impressive. There is no doubt Wayne is committed to his physical fitness, but as you'll hear in this conversation, he is equally dedicated to his mental fitness. He brings a refreshingly positive attitude to everything he does, including rehabbing from injuries and dealing with all that was 2020. Wayne is actively involved in his running community as a race director, current board member, and past president of the Comox Valley Roadrunners. He's a lifelong student who loves to learn and share what he's learned with others, which is why we're so excited to be sharing him with you today. This episode is jam-packed with actionable truth bombs, and if you listen right to the very end, you'll hear him tell a fairly embarrassing story about me that I promised wouldn't land on the cutting room floor. Please enjoy our conversation with Dr. Wayne Crow. Well, Dr. Wayne Crow, thank you for coming on the Inspired Souls podcast. Welcome. Thanks for inviting me. Kim and I have been looking forward to this conversation because you are not only a medical doctor, but you very much walk your talk in all areas. So you're not that doctor who just tells his patients to eat well and be active. You actually eat well and are active yourself. And running is a huge part of who you are. So we're going to get into all of that with you tonight. But before we go there, I thought I would share a quick story about how our paths crossed back in 2016, if that's okay with you. Sure. I'm not even sure if you'll remember this story, but picture this. It's mid-July 2016, and we roll up to the Comox Valley on Vancouver Island after living in Belleville for the previous 12 years. So this was our first military move with our kids who were six and eight years old at the time. So it was kind of a big move. And we gave ourselves a couple of weeks to settle in. And when we finally came up for air, we discovered that there was a race happening over the long weekend in August. And this just wasn't any race. We came to learn that this was the longest continually held foot race in BC. And it was an odd distance race of four miles, which is about six and a half kilometers. So we show up. I'd say the vibe was electric. There were lots of people milling about and lots of people taking their warm-ups very seriously, I remember. And the gun goes off and everyone kind of takes off like a shot. And in my recollection, this was not an easy course. So there were rolling hills throughout. And I'm back and forth like cat and mouse with a few individuals who in my estimation were all in their late 50s to early 60s and I was 38 at the time 
And (laughs) this was a brand new and quite exciting experience for me to have such stiff competition all around me, like even as the race was coming to a close. So I'm coming on the beginning of the final mile and it's this gradual, long downhill. And I was neck and neck with 60-year-old Derek Brenchley. And every time I thought I dropped him, he kept on catching back up to me. And we take the the final left-hand turn onto Comox Ave. And again, in my recollection, it was an all-out sprint trying to hold Derek off. But <laughs> meanwhile, there's this individual up ahead that is visible because the street is quite long and, and straight, but utterly uncatchable. And that individual I later learned was you, also age 60 at the time. And you, I know, I don't know if this is ringing any bells, but you beat me that year by 42 seconds in four miles. And in the 53 seconds that followed me, there were three more men ages 57 to 61. So Derek Brenchley, Larry Ness, and Keith Wakeland. So that was the day in August of 2016 that I knew I'd landed in running paradise. And it was clear to me that this little community was truly a special bunch who absolutely meant business and also knew how to live it up and have fun at the after party. And the after party was this terrific little award ceremony in a downtown parking lot in advance of the BC Days Parade. So you and I talked after and I could tell you were integral to the fabric of this community, which I later learned was the understatement of the century. So I want to start by thanking you and the Comox Valley Roadrunners for welcoming us to your tribe with open arms that day, as well as the two magical years that followed. Well, that's a that's a good story. And I, I don't remember very much. <laughs> we do welcome all of our new runners that way though by inviting them to come to one of the races and get crushed by all the locals yeah (laughs) i love that story carolyn that is (laughs) i can just picture it i can totally picture it oh i was running for my life that day and and kim i understand you have a, a connection with wayne that goes way back uh as well You know, we've talked before on this podcast how we've had parallel lives and, you know, the running community is a a big, small, happy family. But yes, um, you know, as everybody knows, I lived for 15 years on the island. And as a healthcare provider and physiotherapist, I had the honor of treating many of Wayne Dr. Crow's patients and um, running with even his son. So yeah, it's it's an honor to have you on the podcast today, Wayne, and I'm excited to talk to you more. It's been a long time since I've been in the Valley and I uh, I miss the people there. So welcome. Kim, you were always known as a running physio, so mm. <laughs> you send people your way. If anybody asks, there's any physio in town that knows anything about running, because we know it's, it's fairly specialized and you were the one that I would direct people to. Oh, well, thanks. I know there's lots of runners there now who practice physiotherapy, but yeah, back in the day, there weren't as many. So I sure loved, loved treating my runners. (laughs) So this is now when we want to hear more about you, Wayne. So why don't you give us a little bit of a high level intro about yourself, your background, your running background, and anything you think we should know about you? Sure. Okay. So I'm a family doctor and live in, uh, Comox, British Columbia, practice in the Comox Valley. Been here since 1983, but I've always been an island boy, born in Victoria, 
and did my medical training at UBC, then came back to Victoria to do my internship, then moved to Comox right after that. So I've been married for that whole time, so married now almost 43 years. Have three kids, three grandchildren, and uh, ever-expanding, I think. Uh, very lucky that our three sons live in the valley here as well, so we're pretty happy with that. Uh, I've been active in sports my whole life, uh, not necessarily running. Running was kind of a sideline. I did it as a way to keep fit, but I played lots of sports through school and uh, did a little bit of running, but my main sport during uh, junior high and uh, high school and early university days was boxing, so uh, running was a big part of the training for that. So that's where the running background came in, but always have been interested in staying fit, so even in the days after boxing was over and I was going to medical school, so not time to do that as well as uh, train to be a doctor. I still would run and, you know, but it would be like three times a week, five Ks, and that would be pretty well it. And uh, that's how it was for many years. And uh, I actually did one marathon a long time ago, back in the early 80s. And uh, it wasn't that successful and uh, it involved a lot of blisters and a lot of vomiting, but <laughs> I didn't feel a need to do another one. Uh, until about 20 years after that, when I met some friends that were uh, training for Victoria Marathon, I ended up joining up with them. And then the story goes on from there, where I became quite active in running after that. Right. So it, if I'm tracking along, you were in your late 40s when you really turned to running as a, a serious endeavor. It was always just kind of part of the picture in terms of training for other sports. But you said in your late 40s, okay, I'm going to actually train for this thing. Is that correct? Uh, you know, it wasn't so much training. A couple of my friends were talking and one said to the other, I'm going to do 18K this weekend. Do you want to join me? And I turned over and said, uh, if you take that down to an eight, maybe I could join up too. And of course I didn't because 18K was quite a long ways at that stage. I was running like 5K and 8K would be a long run. But I went out and ran 12K that weekend and it went okay. So I joined them up the next weekend and found out they were actually training for Victoria Marathon, which was maybe six or eight weeks away. And I said, oh, maybe I'll do that too. And they laughed at me, but I did it anyways and ended up running 315 and qualified for Boston. I was 49 at that stage. And I, I didn't really realize any significance of qualifying for Boston. I said, well, yeah, so what's the big deal about that? And they said, well, you, you should do it. I said, I'll do it some other time. You know, if I wanted to run my marathon now. But uh, they convinced me that I may not have another chance. You take the opportunities when they come and yeah. By that, ended up getting serious after that. And so then I joined the running club at that stage and got wound into the Island Race Series, which Carolyn knows is a very popular thing on the island here, and uh, entered Boston uh, that next year and got into Boston and, and uh, didn't run as well as I had hoped. Uh, went out as a crazy man, as people tend to do in Boston, and trying to weave through people that were in my way because I was quite a bit fitter than the corral that I was placed in and ended up burning myself out in the first part of the race and then uh, finishing. I ran 310, which was okay, but I knew I could do a lot better. So then I really got serious after that. So that's that's where it started. That was the series. What year did you do Boston that first time? Maybe 2005. Okay. I'm just trying to orient myself here. Okay. Yeah, and I I kind of wanted to go back to this. Uh, I have never heard of the six week marathon training plan before. You'll have to tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah I don't recommend it. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah, I was in a, followed by a lot of vomiting and quite a few blisters. 
<laughs> but you, I mean, we could spend the whole time here talking about all of the marathons you have run, but I understand that you did get yourself down to a personal best of two hours and 49 minutes in the marathon. Is that right? Well, I was in the two fours, so it was 249.58. My goal that day was to run sub 250. So you're a goal-oriented person. Just give this man a goal. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's true. I am a goal-oriented person. And that particular day, I worked very hard to get that. I was sprinting down the finish line. I know that, uh, and I was 53 at the time. And Sharon was talking to some people beside her at the race finish. And they were asking, is your husband running? Yes, he is. What's he going to run? Well, he's trying to break 250. And these two old fellows standing beside her go, oh, yeah, right. <laughs> and then uh, and then they were looking at the clock saying, well, if he doesn't come around the corner right now, he's not going to do it. And that very instant, I came around the corner. And Sharon is yelling and screaming. My sons are yelling and screaming. And these two old guys are yelling and screaming. <laughs> and I'm racing, sprinting and seeing still the four on the clock. So two, four something. Wow. And sprinted through the line and just got under the, 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 uh, the 250 mark at that stage. So it was pretty cool. It was a very inspirational run for me because uh, a lot of it was, you know, inner strength because I had, I'd heard a very inspirational talk by Simon Whitfield the day before at the, mm. at the expo, and it really drove me to to give everything that I had that day, not leave anything in the tank, and it was great to get that out. Okay, and, and I do understand, too, that you had a a race, and I'm not sure if it was a marathon, where you went uh, head-to-head with Dick Beardsley. Can you tell us that story? Well, that was Dick Beardsley, uh, and that was the... Uh, first half marathon which is in February each year and so I was over there picking up my race package and I was running fairly well in the island race series at that stage but like 123 half type uh, times you know so so reasonable and Dick Beersley of course if people don't know him is you know one of the best marathons ever in the world ran 209 and had the duel in the sun with Alberta Zalazar and that was a big race in Boston which was books written about and he was actually signing copies of his books at the shop where the um, packages were being picked up. So forerunners over in, in Vancouver. And so I went to get a book autographed and one of my friends was there and they said, Oh, Wayne, Hey, Dick's running your age group. You guys should have a good race. And, and of course, you know, I'm talking to Dick a little bit and said, what are you going to run? And he says, Oh, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm training for the uh, Napa marathon, which is, it was like, five or six weeks after that. I said, oh, I guess it's just going to be a training run, right? And he says, oh, no, no, I'm going to race it. He says, I think I'll probably run around 121. And I'm thinking, well, that's a little out of my category because at that stage, I was just having this as a training race. We had our own half marathon in Comox Valley two weeks from that. So it was a, a training ra- race. I was untapered and just went into it with the, well, let's just have fun and see what you can do. So on the start line, in my mind, I think I'm racing Dick Beardsley. He doesn't know anything about it. So we're, you know, neck and neck for the first couple of K and then he gradually pulls ahead and we get around the seawall and he's way ahead of me and I think, well, he's gone. But then he looked back as we were around the seawall and I always think people looking back is a sign of weakness. So then I really started cranking it up and I actually ended up catching him before we got out of Stanley Park. So we're going head to head uh, down the seawall, back and forth, back and forth. I passed him, he passed me, I passed him, etc. And it was only in that last few hundred meters of the race that he actually pulled ahead of me and managed to beat me to the finish. 
but I ended up running 121 flat at the race. So I set a two minute PR there and he was a couple of seconds in front of me. Uh, so it was, it was quite a battle. And then he put his arm around me after the race and we had pictures done and it was uh, pretty gratifying to be in a, a race like that with such a great champion. Well, this is what I'm always telling people. This is the advantage of starting running later in life is that you just keep getting better and better and better, right? <laughs> so now you're 53 years old running with ex-Olympians or I don't know. Did he go to the Olympics? He, Yeah, uh, that was when he, oh no, his duel with Alberto Salazar was at Boston, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. But anyhow, you you end up being on par with these uh Ex elite level people, yeah. right? When you when you start later in life, I've raced a lot of people like like like. Uh, there's another guy called um, Art Boileau from Vancouver, who is a, an Olympian, who was a two eleven marathoner who I've raced, and I don't think he's ever beaten me. I've raced him a number of times. He's a very good runner, but I just <laughs> managed to just be in front of him. Well, it sounds like you've got quite a competitive spirit and uh, nobody can argue that you can um, bring it to a race. Um, so I'm wondering, I'm curious, is that always the way you run or are there races, you know, where you maybe like, I'm somewhat aware that you've done some races where service is more your mindset during those races where you've helped other people. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Well, I don't necessarily go into the race with that in mind, but there was one race in Chicago where just a week before the race, I tweaked my calf to the point that my calf was really not going to hold out for the marathon, but I, I wanted to go and experience the marathon day. So I went into the corral with, with my friends that were with me and we took off from the start and just several hundred meters from the start in Chicago, you go through a tunnel and in the middle of the tunnel was a fellow in a crank wheelchair that had broken down and all the runners are just going around this fellow and around and around him. and I'm thinking I'm planning to drop out after a couple of miles so it wasn't an issue for me I just stopped and asked him what was happening and his chain had come off and he couldn't get it back on again because he couldn't reach to do that so I took a few minutes to do that and got his chain back on and he took off and I ran a little further than managed to get off the course because the spectators didn't want me to leave they thought I looked much too good to get off the course I had to mm. actually take my bib number off before they let me off the course <laughs> and then you know at the end of the race I saw this fellow coming across the finish line he, you know did about 220 or something like that like he was a pretty high level athlete uh, so it was pretty you know grateful uh, that I was involved and you know, really felt I had a purpose for being there to help this race done because you know for me it was just all about an experience there was another race in eugene where i was running and running pretty well at that stage i was running with a, a group that was quite quick there was uh i think five of us running together and one of the people in the group we all introduced ourselves we were halfway through the race and just saying what a great day it was and how much fun we were having and, and meanwhile we're running like 250 marathon pace and one of the women was trying to qualify for the Olympics. So she pushed ahead at that stage. Another fellow was not, uh, he was running above his, uh, his level and he fell off. And another woman pulled a little bit ahead. And, and then the other fellow and myself running together. And as it turned out, he was actually a recovering drug addict. Uh, and he had you know, been an alcoholic and drug addict for many years and kind of turned his life around, ex-smoker. And he'd gotten into running. And he'd run like a 257 marathon before. So he was, again, pushing uh, above his level but 
at that stage, my race more became about his race and getting him to the finish line in the best time that we could. So we ran that race and talked the whole way and, you know, helped him through and support him through the, through the race right to the last few hundred meters of the race when I pulled ahead a little bit. And it was very interesting at uh, Eugene, you would finish on the Hayward field and they had the jumble thrown up. So you'd have the pictures of people coming in and running that last loop of the track and they were projected up on the jumbotron and it was actually part of the uh, race package afterwards you had a film of the finish so i saw a picture of me coming across the finish and then i saw a picture of him coming across the finish not that too far behind me and him just uh, collapsing across the line you know having put everything into it and ran 250 30 or something like that in the race which was pretty amazing huge pr for him so that was pretty exciting that's amazing. So, you know, in life and running, there's a time and a season for everything, right? There's a time to push and there's a time to be pulled and there's a time to help and there's a time to do your own thing. So you, you've, you've been at both ends of that spectrum. What does it mean to you to sometimes let go of the competitive spirit and, and give back like that during a race? Well, I think, you know, I, you're, you're both runners as well, and you know that running is really about the community and supporting one another, I think, is a big part of that. So whether it's, you know, the, the spectators that we're giving back to them or the people organizing the races or the volunteers or, or our competitors as well. And there's been a number of times that things have happened. I remember being in one race with one of my competitors, and we tripped up one another, and he went down hard, and I managed to stay up. You know, I stopped and helped him up and made sure that we were both okay and we took off together and carried on with our battle. But again, it wasn't about me getting a, an advantage on him because he had fallen. It was me making sure that he was okay. And I think it's the same sort of situation that it's all it's all about, you know, good sportsmanship and you know, none of us are world class. We're not making our living from it. We just you know want mm -hmm. to enjoy ourselves and the competition is, is, you know, better when it's a fair competition, I think, in that situation. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And knowing when to turn it on and when to turn it off, right? That's all part of it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, when we get down to the finish line, I, I still beat him. I wasn't going to let him. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do not let people beat you easily. I've been on uh, on that end of things quite a number of times. <laughs> you can't lose the force for the trees, man. No. Win. <laughs> still a race. <laughs> But Wayne, I know you had, you just retired when I was out there. So was it 2018 that you sold your practice? Yeah, we don't sell our practices, but we, I had somebody take over my practice. Okay. okay. I took over the responsibility of my patients. So I, I do uh, holiday replacement work and I do, you know, a couple of days a week on a regular basis as well. But how long did you have your practice for? Like you couldn't get in. You said you never really took on new patients because you just had your same patients all the way along. Then you had their yeah. kids, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, I delivered over a thousand babies while I was in the practice or helped at least with a thousand uh, new babies. And wow. I was practicing since 83, 1983. Uh, so 35 years. Wow. But you and I really bonded over because you were, like I mentioned at the beginning, you're, you're one of these doctors that actually practices what you preach, right? And a big part of the advice that you're giving to your patients is this like whole food, food first, and also like this exercise is medicine approach. So can you talk a little bit about 
this? Like how, like what would a visit to Dr. Wayne Crow look like? And what impact do you think your kind of, um, you having a real appreciation for the fundamentals of health, like nutrition and activity, what impact do you think this has had on your patients over the years? Yeah, I mean, it's always been a focus for myself and things that I believe for myself, I obviously would teach other people about as well. So I, you know, I've always done a lot of research and but it's been exercise and nutrition and try and keep up to date on things. Uh, and I'm not one that goes to prescriptions first. To me, it's lifestyle is the first treatment. And lifestyle obviously includes exercise and nutrition is the two key things. Stress management is another big part of that as well. And that's been my belief forever. On my wall, I actually had a sign that said exercise is medicine. And I'll, I'll actually be giving a, a talk to the local writing group in the next little while on that very subject. Can you live stream that to everybody in the world? No. <laughs> I want to listen in. <laughs> exercise in medicine is a big movement now. It's been a long time to catch on, but doctors are catching on to that. And there's a big group in Canada now that has got a Canada-wide um, movement for that and teaching doctors to write exercise prescriptions and giving them uh, prescription pads that have exercises on them. Mm. You will exercise this long, this many times a week at this intensity, and et cetera, et cetera. So it's a it's a great program, and you know I, I would do that a lot with my own patients before that program ever came out. But it was great to see it, and I've actually uh, organized a sports medicine conference here, and we had exercises medicine come and speak at the conference, uh, which is which is great. But yeah, I've always believed that, and, and certainly a lot of my patients uh, would see me as a role model. For that but also the eating habits as well because that would be a big part of what i would do too and you know we learn more about nutrition as we go over time and you know i think in the early days that was that was bad and, and we realized that bad fats are bad and good fats are good and you know carbs are good carbs are bad well good carbs are good and bad carbs are bad and we kind of <laughs> hone things in and i i feel a lot more comfortable with my approach to uh, nutrition and healthy eating over the last you know, number of years, but it's always evolving because we learn as we go. And I think that's important for us all to learn and, and to make sure that we pass that knowledge along. But I would definitely, definitely ask those two questions of all my patients, you know, what they're eating and what they're doing for exercise. That would be mm-hmm. pretty common. And they would know when they came in, I was going to ask the questions. So <laughs> you know, I can just cough it up right now. <laughs> well, again, I think that that would have a huge impact, like just knowing that this is the expectation and I'm going to get asked about this when I go in to see Dr. Crow. So can you think of any, like, do any people come to mind, not, not by name, but can you tell us any stories of people that really have taken your message to heart and had big transformations in their health over the years? Mm. You know, it's not necessarily from an athletic point of view. It's just people becoming more active mm-hmm. um, and, and being more conscious of eating and, and just being more happy with their lives and their lifestyles. You know, I think yeah. that's more what I would say. I mean, definitely I have some patients that have become you know, quite good runners and athletic, but that's, you know, they're the exception. And, I, and that's not what I'm worried about. I'm just worried about people focusing on being healthy because, you know, as we know, uh, somebody can be very fit and not very healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and try to combine those things so it's not just the eating and it's not just the 
the running exercise, it's the weightlifting, it's the stress management, you know, it's all those other things that come with being healthy. Yes, yes, yes. You know, I, it's, it, I don't know, it sounds so cliche, but yes, it warms my heart (laughs) to hear physicians talk about this and influential physicians in the community because, you know, I'm with you. I I never like to ask my patients to do anything that I wouldn't ask of myself or do myself, I should say. And, you know, you can do as I say or do as I do. And that means a whole lot more to a person when they can see that, you know, hmm, I'm going to disappoint Dr. Crow if I don't come in with a good answer to his question, right? right? (laughs) And I've done talks at various clinics as well. And one of them was, uh, the talk was seven nutritional habits of highly effective runners. Mm. So that was kind of obviously a play on seven habits of highly effective people, but it was trying to get that message across that, you know, nutrition is a big part of this process as well. And, you know, people think they're just going to run and that's not going to work just by itself. Right. Well, and it sounds like you very much have the mindset of a student. Like you said, things have evolved and the way that we think about nutrition has changed over the years as new information becomes available. And so you're always learning. That's what I love about you. Like you're always taking courses and learning and not only going to the courses, but then turning around and delivering what you can remember from the course to like, I was on the receiving end of that one time, like you'd gone on a running course and then you gathered a group of people together after and you disseminated the information and we had a discussion about it. It's so super important to be always learning and willing to share what you've learned with other people. So that's something that I've always appreciated about you. But I'm, I'm very curious because sometimes even as um, health professionals, and Kim and I have talked about this before, it's like, yeah, I give this advice and then uh, I turn around and broke that advice <laughs> like myself, you know, like I tell somebody to get eight hours of sleep or, you know, get shut the lights off or the screens off at eight o'clock or whatever. But I was up till 3 a.m. the other night or whatever. So I'm curious whether there's any, you know, advice that you impart on other people that you sometimes still have trouble practicing yourself. Hmm. Nothing comes to mind. I remember many, many years ago in a former lifetime, when I got busted for eating French fries and McDonald's, went, <laughs> Dr. Crow, I saw that. That's the only thing I can think about offhand. <laughs> In a town the size where everybody knows your license plate. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not anymore so much, but yeah. Yeah. No, I can't really think of anything. I, I get pretty, no, I wouldn't say strict to myself, but just, you know, I, I don't find it's a sacrifice to, to live a healthy life. Well, and that's when you know you're onto something when the thing that you quote unquote should do is the thing that you actually really just want to do because it intrinsically feels good. So you are heavily involved in your running community there in the Comox Valley. You're a Comox Valley Roadrunner board member. You're the RD for the Comox Valley RV Half Marathon, Vancouver Island Runners Association, BC Endurance Project. Like, are there more things to list there? Can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, first off, why? Why have you chosen to get involved in so many projects in the community? Uh, I'm one of these people that has trouble saying no. I can say that first. Uh, In any community, any organization you probably know there are people that 
they will tend to do things in other people that cannot. And I'm one of the people that tend to do things and I feel that I want to do my share to, to make things work appropriately. I like to be a part of things and see, see it move forward. And I think it's a very good cause as well. So it's, you know, meant to, you know, make the whole community healthier. And that's part of the mandate of the Comox Valley Roadrunners is to promote running in the Comox Valley. Uh, and I think it's a very uh, good thing to be a part of. So I've done it too because, you know, I get back from them as well. You know, they, they support my running. You know, we support one another within the club and within the community. So I think it's very important from that point of view as well that, that we're, we're giving and taking at the same time. And it's not a one-way street, so it's not just that I give, but I, I do get benefits too. Mm-hmm. It's so true and it's counterintuitive a little bit, except that anyone who has given and then realized, wow, I'm actually getting so much back from this giving has experienced it, right? Like you do get so much back uh, personally when you are part of something bigger. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You mentioned, Kim, about the BC Endurance Projects. We were approached by uh, Richard Leather, who is the coach of the BC Endurance Project. And that's a a group of uh, elite British Columbia athletes training over in the lower mainland and uh, one of their athletes Rachel Cliff is uh, you know she's uh, definitely pushing to get into the next Olympic Games Justin Kent won the Vancouver Sunrun last year uh, so very high-end runners uh, Luke Burchette's a former Olympian who runs with them Theo Hunt runs with them you know very high-end runners anyways they wanted to get a qualifying race to get uh their athletes into the world championships for the half marathon. And there was no races obviously happening because of COVID and very difficult to put on an event on the lower mainland because of all the requirements for permits and traffic control. And I got a call from Richard to see if we might consider it doing it on our course because it's a certified course. It's a well-known course, fairly fast. And we, know we're able to put that race on for them Uh, got good support from bc athletics our local board of directors actually from the comox valley roadrunners basically single-handedly put the race on because we all did all the volunteering we had a total of five athletes that we put this race on for and two of them did qualify for the world championships based on that so wow did qualify and uh, justin did qualify as it turned out canada pulled out just a few days before the world championships happened but the whole event was great and you know they thanked us but we thanked them because it really gave our community something to rally around it gave us a purpose you know because nothing was going on and everybody's kind of in doldrums and let's do this it was very exciting for us to, to be a part of their lives and you know to make you know their um goals happen for them mm-hmm. and you pulled that off on a pretty tight timeline if i understand yeah, correctly three weeks to to put it together um, and, you know, luckily, because we've done the half here a number of times, I had the connections for what we needed. The course was already laid out, you know, had to get the permits in place. But I wanted to do it very quickly so that the athletes had some certainty to know that, yes, this is going to happen. Because you can imagine you're, you know, one week out not knowing yes or no the race is going to happen. So we were able to put it together so they had four weeks before that we could give them the guarantee that, yes, this is happening. Uh, so they could train appropriately, taper appropriately for it, and run it, you know, in a 
timely fashion to get their qualifying in because they really didn't have much time after it before the selections were going to happen. Right. And and didn't that qualify them for the marathon project down in Arizona? Uh, not not really. It was a different a different thing. So the marathon project was a, instead of because the world championships got canceled and they had this fitness, they had no events. The marathon project was happening and through Richard they were able to get entries into the marathon project. But it wasn't that they qualified specifically. The time was a good time that allowed them to be on the radar to be selected to be in the field. Okay. But it was an elite field that was basically um, limited to a certain number. 50 men and 50 women were allowed to run it. And, and so they were in the mix. But but Justin had never run a marathon before. That was his first marathon. Right. So based on his half marathon time. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's what it was. And, and then to to show your support for him, didn't you go out and run a virtual marathon on the same day? Well, part of the marathon project uh, was there was a virtual portion of it. So there was the live race and there was a virtual race, which you could run over a period of time. And I decided to run it on the same day that he ran. Mm-hmm. And we actually, you could join the team of whatever elite runner was running. So I was on his team as well as part of that. So yeah, I ran my event locally here and again, supported by some of my local training group. So it was pretty cool. A couple of people on bikes, another guy in a car and mm-hmm. people inside. Uh, my son, Brad was pacing me. And then we had two other people, Andrea and Keith that jumped in and helped pace part of it as well. But Brad ran the whole thing with me. Uh, it was more of a walk in the park for him, a little more of a challenge for me. But it was it was a great event, and I I set a goal to break three ten, and I ran three oh nine. So I was pretty happy with that. I'll say, I mean, as someone who ran a virtual marathon during COVID, uh, I can say that it's not easy. And so, way to go! Three oh nine is an absolutely fantastic time, no matter which way you slice it. But um, you mentioned Andrea. Uh, funny enough, because that was one of the questions that I had for you. One of the other ways that you like to give back is to mentor other athletes. Now, I would have chosen to call it coaching. And I know that you're like, no, 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 that's not what it is. I'm not coaching them. I'm just mentoring them. So uh, what does it mean to you to mentor other athletes and give back in that way? Yeah, it's something I've actually quite enjoyed doing. Like all along, I've always help people with, you know, tips and helped might be some, some people may find them unwanted tips, but maybe made suggestions and so on. And just over time have, you know, done programs for different people uh, and really worked with them is what I like to say more as a partnership than necessarily me as a coach, because the people that I'm mainly dealing with are very experienced runners. I have done some programs for some beginners, um, like half programs and 5k programs and so on for people that aren't real runners, but, or not say real runners, but aren't, aren't racers and, and competitive runners. But these people we're talking about, like the people that I have helped with their programs, they're, they're competitive runners and they um, have a lot of experience. So it's trying to base what we do in their program on what their background is and make very individualized programs. But along the theme that I, train and I have a specific way that I I like to train for marathons and um, you know I've given them that kind of experience and 
I think it's worked very well for the, the people that I've been helping mm -hmm. out as well. So it has some excellent results. And, mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's, it's been good doing that. And I, you know, I'm, I'm really, um, I really enjoy the science of running. I like to read a lot and learn a lot. I go to different courses and that about running. But it's not just the running, it's the sports medicine part of it, recovery, the injury prevention things, the nutritional part of it, the performance aspect. And, you know, it's all, all important and try to put that all into a program. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, I've had the influence of lots of different people from the books and, and programs that I've, I've looked at and lots of podcasts like your podcast. I learned from lots of different things and so we're always learning and it's just putting it down and making it work for the person that that is most appropriate for because not all techniques are right for for each person right and do you find for the most part the people that you're mentoring slash coaching uh, are receptive to like I know all the runners love to run right but are they receptive to some of the non-running recommendations that you make, uh, whether it be in nutrition or strength training or stress management, you know, do you find that most of the athletes that gravitate to wanting to learn from you are receptive to, to sort of looking at it a bit more holistically? Yes. Oh yeah, for sure. Like the, I think the, the uh, nutritional aspect, the people that I'm dealing with, uh, I mean, I'm not really coaching them on nutrition, quite honestly. I mean, they, they're all pretty dedicated to to performing and understand that you know good nutrition is part of performance. So you you don't run to eat, eat to run, and it's fueling yourself appropriately, and it's trying to find the right ways of fueling. So we may talk about tapering and pre race nutrition, and you know limited fiber, like low residue diets before a race, and you know fueling during the race and practices and those things. I mean, we definitely talk about that aspect of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, but the day-to-day, -day, I think it's, you know, people are they're pretty darn good with that. But definitely the weight training and uh, the core work, you know, it's a big part of, of what I do and what I encourage them to do as well. So we're looking at you know, the whole body, not just not just the running, you know. So I always like to feel that, you know, runners should be athletes and not, not just runners because if we're just focused on running, we're going to get injured and we're not going to perform as well. We're not going to be in the sport for that long. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, okay. Y you brought it up. Injury. You can't talk to a couple of physiotherapists. Um, we'll qualify that with one licensed, one not licensed. Okay, Carolyn, I'll keep okay, you safe. Okay, thank you. Without talking a bit about injuries. So talk to us a bit about that. Have you experienced any injuries in your running history? Any setbacks? And um, can you speak to you know, both physical and mental setbacks? Like, have you had any challenges? Um, challenges? Yeah, I, I probably have had some challenges. I've had a few injuries and, and obviously you learn as you go. And, um, you know, I would try and train myself at a very high level. So I would, I would ride that red line mm -hmm. and over the red line, then you run the risk of overuse injuries. And I've had uh, a number of those over the years. Um, so I've had, uh, some stress fractures, uh, had some Achilles issues, plantar fascia issues, some hamstring issues, calf strain. Uh, and then I've had a few falls where I've broken, broken ribs that haven't been too pleasant. Might have. Yeah. And then, uh, one other incident where I actually got hit off my bike and, and got quite significant injuries from that. So that was a big recovery from that. 
but you know all those things i mean i i think your word challenges is a is a good way to look at it because mentally none of them were ever a problem for me i never focused on all that said i'm done that uh, would be i became then a, a, a competitive rehab person rather than a competitive runner mm. how i could I get like back as fit as i could be uh, and get back to what i was doing so when I got hit off my bike, um, I, I got car doored when I was riding quite quickly past somebody and uh, broke a few ribs and had four spinal fractures and a bruised lung and liver and kidney. And you know, I was I was pretty sore for a long time there. But within two weeks, I was back on my bike. I just got extenders put on my handlebars so I could ride upright. Mm. And I could ride on the flat so I could do that. I was in the pool within that two weeks as well. Although I couldn't wear a belt, so I had to uh, put a noodle between my legs. And another time, I'll, I'll give you the guide to save noodling because there's a lot of tips that I have. That <laughs> it's not for this uh, G-rated program. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah. And, and so I would try and get back uh, and compete as quick as I could. So after I, I was uh, knocked off my bike in July and had those injuries, I actually ran Victoria Marathon in October at Thanksgiving. So, and part of that is I was training my son, Brad, that was his first marathon and I was training him. And so I paced him for his first half of his marathon and then kind of backed off because I didn't have the endurance to, to go the whole race, but I ran 306 there, which was, which is not bad for the amount of training I had. And Brad went on to run that 253 in his first marathon there. So pretty impressive. And this was after you had four spinal fractures. Yeah, but they were, I mean, there were stable fractures, so it was uh, two transverse process fractures, um, a spinal fracture like the spine off the back, and then a compression fracture. So those were the, the four bones, but they were stable fractures. So basically, it was more pain management and trying to trying to just get through that to to get the training in. Well, let's go back to what you said there about I became a competitive rehab athlete. I think you said rather than a competitive runner. Yeah. I love that. I often say to my patients, I want you to take recovery as seriously as you take training, right? Like your rehab is as serious as your training. And uh, you you did that. So practice what you preach yet again. And you didn't just take the advice of rest and do nothing. (laughs) You started moving right away. Yeah. Movement is medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think this just keeps coming back to how y- your mindset is so important in all of yeah. this. Like how how do you think about that? Like the kind of physical stuff compared to the mental inputs. And on that note, how long do you see yourself running for? Is your goal to run for the rest of your life? Like talk to us about longevity in the sport. Yeah, I mean, it is my goal to run forever. I don't have any sort of long-term plans to stop for sure. You know, I think running is actually a healthy activity and there's a lot of misinformation out there about how running is not healthy. Um, yes. I mean, there's limits to all things, but we definitely know that running decreases your risk of arthritis. It increases your, your lifespan. Again, there's a, a talk that I'm giving coming up here, uh, which will be called running, running for your life. Mm-hmm. And it's, running for life it's like forever sustainable but running for your life as in all the health benefits from running right you know blood pressure issues diabetes issues weight control cancer risks you know know, mental health issues whatever so many things that are helped by 
running or physical activity that you know what's better than any pill or any medicine we can ever give anybody and so that's you know the way i will lead my life for sure and i think it is an important thing but it's you know kind of getting away from the attitude of necessarily being competitive against the clock it's competitive against myself so just really trying to get the best out of myself that's all i can do and i can put the cars i want sometimes the clock is wrong it says I'm than I am, but I know that I'm harder than I'm going to work, and that's all I can do. But the other part of it is that running is about community as well, and we know that. And and so yes. that's, you know where I'm connected with people, and I think I always will be connected with that you know, group of people because of their mindset and focus on on healthy living. So you know, attitude and mindset, I think, are the big things. And we're looking at this as a lifelong sport. That's yep. for sure. Yes, all so many yeses. Um, now I know you took, you know, what some might consider as uh, a very challenging 2020, and you sort of took the lemons and made lemonade, so to speak. And you did a lot of things in 2020 that were just outside of the box and creative. So I know you you hosted a race. You were a race director for the the backyard ultra race, and you did the race across Tennessee, and you did your virtual marathon. And you did the Berlin, like on and on and on. Are there any races that really, or any um, creative running challenges that you either made for yourself or um, partook in in 2020 that stand out that you want to talk about? Uh, yeah, I mean, 2020, I, I've just told all the people that I run with and have helped out is, you know, take this as an opportunity. You know, do the things that you might not have the opportunity to do normally, like you know, we're always racing or recovering from racing. You know, so you got a race coming up, you're, you're recovering from that race, and you never have this opportunity. Just focus on what you want to do. And so me, I just took it as the opportunity to just run. Just run as much as I want, and there's no limits on me. There's hmm. there's no worries. And so I, I ran a lot you know, through the summer for sure. And this, this uh, race across Tennessee, it was... You know, I was doing it with, with another friend, Danny, who was a good training mate of mine. And... Um, we were doing it together and he actually didn't make it cause he got injured as he was going, but I managed to, you know, have a little tweak, but it didn't stop me from doing anything. So I ran across Tennessee and then ran back again. So it's the race back across Tennessee is what I ended up doing. Hmm. It was a total of 2,043 K over the, over the May through August. So four months. So it was a good amount of running. Um, yes, that is a good amount of running. <laughs> yeah. But it was, yeah. And, during that time, I was also doing these other events. So the Backyard Ultra, Danny and I were running, and uh, Danny had wanted to do that because there had been the, the big virtual one that Dave Proctor, I think you knew, was involved with. Mm-hmm. And he thought, well, we missed out on that. We should do our own. And so he and I were going to do our own, and we thought, well, let's, let's involve the club. So within two weeks, we put this together, that we had this event, we had a Zoom going and one of our locals uh, Steve Blacklock ran the zoom feed and we had people hook onto the zoom and people ran their own course in their own neighborhood so it's your own backyard mm-hmm. uh, ultra and we just started at six in the morning and kept going till there was only two people standing which is myself and and our good friend Mary and Brian who's oh ultra yes. runner and Mary and I were going till 11 o'clock that night when I said okay Mary and uh we're we're done because I'm going to go to bed. Because <laughs> sleep is very important. <laughs> well, That's awesome. I just had a grandson that day, so that was one thing. So we had lots going on at our house. 
uh, I was uh, playing golf at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, so I had strict instructions not to be late and I was working the next afternoon as well. So I had a few commitments and I told everybody in this race, it's just supposed to be fun. I mean, we're worried about people pushing themselves too hard with COVID and getting their immune function down and don't, don't uh, take it the wrong direction. So I'd had fun. I really enjoyed it. And it, I didn't find it a struggle at all to do it. Uh, and I expected that Mary and I would have gone through the night if, if it had come to that, because I don't think she was going to quit. And my nature is typically not, but I'm, I'm much more uh, realistic about, you know, what else was going on with my life at that time. It wasn't really a practical thing to keep going, but it was, it was a great event. I would say that was a highlight for the summer because it was just so much fun. And the whole community, you know, got around the event as well, you know, the running community, but like neighbors and like my loop was only, I had to do two loops to make the, the uh, I think it's 6.71K is what the, the loop was. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the loops so I would go past these people I did it like 17 loops so it would be 34 times during the day I'd be going past and so people were out on their porches cheering for me and <laughs> they would come out to meet me as I'm coming by and it was quite a bit of fun <laughs> they're like what is Wayne Crow up to now yeah, what is asking? <laughs> and of course you're not in a hurry so you can stop and talk yeah. and yeah know, yeah like with with the race I paced myself quite well so every loop would be 40 minutes plus or minus a minute and you know right from the end to or the beginning to the end so I'd always have 20 minutes that I could you know sit and have something to eat or check in on the zoom or you know go see what my granddaughter's doing who we're looking after while the baby was being born and uh, (laughs) it was actually quite a quite a fun day actually and we're looking forward to making it an annual event now that we've got a committee put together that we're going to do this again coming up well, 40-minute loops is respectable. Yes. If you could hold on to that for another uh, 17 yards, you'd be doing pretty darn awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah, I might do that sometime, but it wasn't the, the plan. But we had I told Danny I didn't want to do that until we had done a 50K first because neither of us had done 50K of running either. So we did a 50K road run uh, before that and then did the Backyard Ultra, which is 114K the next weekend after that, I think. And then during the summer, I did uh, several 50 plus K runs and had um, four weeks that were um, over 100 miles. Like my biggest week was 220 Ks of running in one week. So got a fair bit of running in. You know, I find it interesting how you kind of have two camps of people in 2020. You have the people that whose races disappeared and therefore their whole why disappeared and they pretty much just stopped lost mm-hmm. and then you have the group of people like yourself who went like wow look at this opportunity I can run as much as I want right <laughs> and, and you almost the pendulum swung completely the other way right but yet um you know correct me if I'm wrong but you probably did a lot lot of it largely more on feel and you managed to get through an incredible amount of mileage relatively uninjured and uh still had a heck of a lot of fun during yeah. 2020 yeah and then we did like the other projects there was a berlin at a 20139 challenge which was basically that you would try and run the same amount of time that kip Chogi ran for his world record and see how far you could get and so awesome. that, that was that was a good good challenge for sure and how far did you get yeah i did uh, 27k wow 
All right. So that was good. I wanted to do 26.2. That would have been appropriate, I thought. So Yeah. That's good. There is a book, Chogin, that 2139. I'm quite attached to that because the, the day that he ran that world record, I ran Berlin that day. Yes, I remember that. That was 2018? Uh, I guess it was, yeah. And so I was crossing the finish line just as he was getting his medal awarded to him. Oh. So I'm crossing the line on the Jumbotron just over above where I'm running. Huh. It's in the picture of me with him in the background getting his medal and the awards going on. So it was pretty cool. So that 20139 is ingrained in me. <laughs> Do you have a tattoo with that number? Yeah, on you that. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. And then we did some other races. So there was some one hour virtual challenges. So there was a, as far as you can run in one hour, as far as you can get elevation in one hour, and as far as you can go on a decline for one hour. Well, those were good challenges as well. And now we've got the virtual island race series happening this year. We call it the 39 and a half virtual race series because we it was supposed to be the 40th annual, but because we haven't quite reached the 40th because it's been uh, postponed. And so we're just doing this in-between virtual challenge now to the real 40th happens this next year. So we have races every two weeks now. We've had uh, the uh, Pioneer 8K and we've had the Culpa Hill 10K. And again, you pick a course in your own neighborhood and it has to have some challenge within it. You know, so Pioneer had to have two hills in it and um, Cobble Hill had one hill in it. We've got Cedar coming up where you have to run past some historic site as part of your run. Our half marathon has turned into a 19K race in honor of COVID-19. Oh, so now. creative. Yeah, and people can do it as a team. So if they want to have up to five people in their team, so trying to be more inclusive of people who maybe wouldn't normally do a half marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got, I think, 360 people registered for the series this year for that virtual series, which oh, was pretty good. Cool. Oh, that's yeah. great. And 80 of those are from the Valley. Wow. So, well, I think it's fair to say, Wayne, that you are a very inspirational figure in your community. But we always, in given the name of our podcast being Inspired Souls, we're always curious as to whether there is anyone that inspires you when it comes to running or life. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I, I have so many inspirations. That's the thing. And every day something inspires me. You know, I might listen to a podcast or read an article or something in the news that comes on, I get inspired. But I, th- I think you know, around me, the people that I'm connected with closely, my training partners are the people that inspire me the most because we encourage one another on a constant basis, you know, whether it's through the workout, whether it's on a run where we're living, reliving old races or runs that we've done together or things that we're planning. And I think we really inspire each other in that way. But, but of course, you know, our competitors, you know, they inspire me as well because I go like, okay, I'm going to go after that guy next time. You know, mm-hmm. I know what I've got to do. And that's important. But but also, you know, people like yourselves that are doing things for the running community, that inspires me as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was happy to come on this podcast because I think you're doing a lot of good for the community and you know, both the trail and the road running community. I mean, we know they're connected and um, there's a lot of crossover that goes on there. Yeah, we can all inspire each other. 
Okay, so we have been talking for quite a while. And as you know, near the end of our podcast, we like to close with a couple rapid fire questions just to gain some fun knowledge about our guests. So the first one is what is your favorite running mantra? So running mantra is kind of a weird term. I, I hate to drag these things out because they're supposed to be one word answers. But, you know, I think the mind game is very important in running, for sure, and mantras are part of that. But I more think of it as self-talk than mantra per se. And it changes depending on what I'm doing. So if it's if it's racing, if it's training, what type of training I'm doing, why I'm in the race. So I may have lots of different words or phrases or things that I will have that will help me in different different times. Like when I'm when I'm running and training, um, I might just have a word like good or yes, just because it means I'm working hard and I know that I'm there where I'm supposed to be. Um, I might think fast feet, you know, if I'm really coming around a corner and just going to keep those feet moving on a fast interval. Uh, but one phrase that I've heard and I like is, is pay now or pay later. And I'm not sure where I heard that, mm -hmm. uh, but I like that because, you know, sometimes you want to quit when you're doing a workout, you go, this is just too hard. Uh, but you know what? If you don't do it now, you're going to pay later and you're going to wish you had. So that's a big part of it. But on a long run, I might just say, you know, in my brain, I would just say, take it easy, take it easy, take it easy when I'm starting to push too hard, you know, starting to get the pace go too much. Mm -hmm. So you know, slow it down, slow it down, slow it down. Uh, a tempo run, I might just, you know, think pace, you know, just feel the pace, feel the pace, feel the pace. Mm -hmm. Or something like if I'm really pushing on a tempo, you get near the end and I'll go to my mind. This is where you want to be. You know, this is this is the place. Um, this is what you came for. With the people that I train with, is I, I call it the price of admission. When you get to the back end of a long progression run, so you've done a like a thirty-five k run with twenty-one k's of marathon pace at the back end of that. Like it's a tough workout, but you're in that last few k, and you go, "This is where I want to be," because mm -hmm. this is going to stimulate the race better than anything else that I could do. And, and I really love that feeling. And I, and I will tell myself that and reassure myself, it's supposed to hurt. It's okay to hurt. This is where you want to be because it'll help you get through the race. And then, no. getting, sorry. No, please talk. Am, am I going too long in this mantra? No. <laughs> okay. And so the race is broken up too. So the race, you know, a mantra at the beginning is different than a mantra at the end because I don't want the go, go, go at the beginning of the race mm -hmm. because I don't want to get myself hyped up. I want myself to settle in. Mm -hmm. So my early race will be something like uh, settle in or, or execute. And execute is a, a bit of a story to that. And I don't know if you have time for that, but about race execution. Can I tell you a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, for sure. Mm, please do. So this was uh, something that was given. It was a lecture given at a triathlon sem seminar at one stage. I'm a triathlon seminar talking about race execution and I, I loved it and I actually talked to lots and lots of people that I deal with about this and so race execution is basically saying you've done the training what you've got is what you got you got the race car at the track it's not about the race car anymore it's how you drive it and so that's what race execution is about and then it talks about the line and the line is the place that you get to in that race that you know you have to get there in good shape so you're going to finish this race in a good way. But until you get to the line, you really aren't sure. So a big part of this race then is getting yourself to the line in good shape. 
So the next thing is called the box. And the box is those things that are in your control. Like, what can I do right now at this instant that's going to help me get to that line? You know, it may be pacing, maybe nutrition, maybe fueling, uh, you know, whatever it is, maybe, you know, positive mindset, whatever it is, something to get you to the line. And then the next and final thing is called the one thing. And the one thing is when you get to the line, what is it going to get you to get, get to get you to the finish or take to get you to the finish in, in a good position? So that one thing, and it might be, you know, I want a podium. It might be, I want to run this time. It might be, I'm doing this for my father. It might be because I'm doing it for these people or that person, whatever it is that one powerful overriding thing, harder and you know, stronger than any mantra you'd ever have. Like this is, you know, over the top. And so that's, you know, execute in the early part of the race, execute. When I say that, it means to think about that line early on and to be settling into pacing, to be aware of the fueling, to be aware of the, of the, um, you know, the pacing, the heat, whatever it might be, the hydration, um, and not to get yourself too wound up, you know, so that's where the execute is, is not to get yourself going too much. But then the mid race, I'll, I'll switch into, you know, keep it smooth, keep it loose. You know, because because again, it's too early to be pushing. It might be the stage where I would disassociate. And lately, in my long runs, I've been starting to sing childhood songs like, uh, you know, "Down by the Bay" or, you know, whatever. You've been looking after your grandchildren too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they're great little songs. They are. Yeah. Well, I I really appreciate this, and I know it's like supposed to be rapid fire, but this is this is actually a super good point that our mantras or our self-talk, like, like you're referring to it as uh, change depending mm-hmm. on the situation. And they have to be appropriate to the situation because a mantra that works early on in the race doesn't work later on in the race and vice versa. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's a really good um, distinction that you've made <laughs> here. Mm-hmm. And, and I appreciate, and I knew you would have a bunch, like it, I knew you would be able to answer that question. Um, Everybody has to have their own. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I was going to just finish with late in the race. It would be just, you know, again, um, thinking light feet. I might count to just try and get myself out of my head. Like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Just go like that. But then focused on the goal. You know, it's that now, now I am goal driven at that stage. I, I can just lay it all out there because I'm at the line now. I'm past the line. I'm going. And, and the, you know, the final stage is just, again, that one thing. So whatever it is. Uh, and I'll say to myself, like, go time when it's, it's ready to go. Okay, we've got to do this uh, or, or push. That would be another one. Like on the, when I did the 309 marathon I did recently, I was just a little behind pace with 7K to go. And so it was go time. And, I, and I, that was my strategy. I knew it would be because I was coming up a hill, a long hill coming up and through Royston. And I knew I would be behind. And so the next 7K, I was able to drop my pace down by five seconds a K to get under my goal time but again that's you know that was the mantra that I had but I planned that ahead of time I knew I would use that in that situation I think that's the other thing is to is to practice using them in situations because just like we practice our nutrition we practice our mantras and our and our mindsets you know when we're racing as well and and uh you know for our training is important it's as important as it is for the racing Mm -hmm. anyways that's, that's my mantra 
<laughs> awesome. This is gold. It like is, this, really I'm is. glad we did not make this too rapid fire because mm-hmm. I think you, um, the best part of this podcast was just uh, in the last five minutes. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. All right. The second question, Wayne, and I know you live in a very beautiful place and we have gone on a lot of beautiful runs together even, but I'm curious whether you have a favorite place to run. Nymph Falls is, is probably a favorite. Uh, and just for a nice casual run, we love that. And for training, uh, Dove Creek, we do a loop around Dove Creek, which is a nice hilly, rolly uh, loop, 5K loop, and it's just perfect. We call it our secret sauce, and that's uh, you know something we really do a lot of training on. And, and my favorite run I ever did was on the One Spot Trail, and that's the story of Roland's farewell run. Uh, okay, you have to tell that story. <laughs> Oh, I'm curious about what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting for this opportunity. <laughs> okay, let's hear okay. it. And just remember that I'm in charge of the editing, so I could cut this out. <laughs> now, no one would say that Carolyn's not the sharpest knife in the drawer, but she's very sweet and innocent. And never would think anybody would ever try and pull anything over on her at all. But anyways, it was her going away front run, and we run with Carlene or Carlene and Melissa. Okay, so she was starting this run off on the One Spot Trail, and I was in charge of getting all the Roadrunner friends of of Carolyn together to meet her on the trail. And so what we did was we had her start, and then along the trail we'd have little pockets of runners that would kind of serendipitously kind of come onto the route and go, oh, Carolyn, you're here with a coincidence. You mind if we run with you? And so along <laughs> the route for about 10K, people kept jumping into the back of about 25 or 30 people running down the one spot trail. And I Carolyn, was like, what a coincidence. Look Carolyn did not put into this at all. <laughs> Her husband, John, is waiting at the pub for us. And there were a few people that were behind us. We're coming just into Courtney, just where the bridge is. And I, and I said to Carolyn, oh, we, we should s- slow down here because I know there's a couple of other people behind us that want to run with you. And then the light goes on like, what? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> okay. Okay. In my defense... <laughs> My friend Christy organ like she was the real like instigator of this entire plan. I know she got you heavily involved because she didn't know any of you. So this was Christy's brainchild. And she's like, I'm going to plan this thing for Carolyn before she leaves. I'm going to, you know, plan this ridiculous route. Like it was all over the place. You should have seen where we had to drive to start the run, Christy and I. Like, I had no idea where we were. And then all of a sudden, there's Carlene and my friend Melissa. And I'm like, that is so weird. I think that's Carlene and Melissa. So now the four of us are running together. And it just went like that. And we kept on running into people that we knew. And they would turn around. And we've got this huge group. And I'm like, this picture is Forrest Gump. This is crazy. <laughs> like, everybody is out. But it was a beautiful day. So I honestly thought we just randomly bumped into <laughs> people. And as I recount the story and all the time in retrospect, respect I'm like oh my goodness Carolyn like <laughs> so we all went for a drink afterwards anyways that's awesome okay uh-huh. I I'm going to pull podcast co-host veto power here and you're not allowed to cut this part this is, this is okay. great fair enough so the one spot trail huh Wayne 
<laughs> One of my favorite runs ever. When I realized it was all for me, I was like, just tears. Like, I just couldn't believe it that all these people had come out to, to run with me. It was like the best present, like shout out to Christy, if, if you're listening, like the best possible present anyone could have ever gotten me. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so we'll move on to question number three, which is more than your favorite place to run, bucket list races. Like, do you have any bucket list races on your list uh, still? Yeah, I have a couple. So Tokyo Marathon, because I've run five of the majors and Tokyo is the sixth. Mm -hmm. So at some stage, I do plan on running that. Obviously, now is not the time, but uh, that should hopefully come in the future. And then I would be interested in doing a trail 50k at some stage. So uh, Chaka Nuts, one that comes to mind, but uh, there may be others. I need to have one that's a little more runnable. So uh, Chaka Nut might be in that territory. But uh, I'll get some advice from my, my trail running coach. That's Excellent. That's Brad. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, well, before the podcast started, I was telling you, Wayne, how it was Brad running Chuckanut that inspired me to do, he was one of the inspirations for me to do my first trail ultra. So, yeah. What a small world this running it's world a small is. world. <laughs> yeah. Chuckanut was like the one of the first ultras that I'd ever heard of. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Do you have a favorite running book or a movie? You know, I read a lot of books. A lot of books about running for sure. And uh, so if we talk about running books, almost anything by Matt Fitzgerald. I love all of his books that he's written and he's written a lot of good ones. Uh, there's a good one by Joe Friel called Fast After 50, which is very good. Mm -hmm. Alch Hutchinson's Endure is another book mm -hmm. I enjoyed as well. I just remember going over to your house one day and you're, you've got this huge library and you're like, oh, have you not read this book? And you're throwing books at me. You're like, here's Once a Runner. This is a great book. Every runner has to read this book and throw it. And I leave with this huge stack of books. And it was like two Can weeks before we were, what's that? Can I have them back? <laughs> I was going to say, it was like two weeks before we were moving here. So I sadly had to give them back to you, mostly unread. But I think I have since gone on to read many of those. So thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, I'll just give a shout out to uh, one of our local runners. Uh, Brian Payton has written the book, The Wind is Not a River, which is an excellent book I'd recommend to people as well. Uh, he's, a, he's a great writer. And this is a book about uh, the Aleutian Islands and a fellow that's uh, crash landed there during the time of the Japanese occupation during the Second World War. So it's a great story. And uh, he's, a, he's a good running partner of mine as well. And I really love podcasts as well. And I'm going to just give you a couple podcasts. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, you'd be interested in these. One is, is Coopcast. Yes. So Jason Coop. Very good. It's probably uh, one of my top two podcasts. And then the other one is Science of Sport. Mm -hmm. Science of Sport. Ross Tucker is one of the world's top sports scientists. And it's his podcast. And it's not just on running. Uh, so he might talk about rugby or the Tour de France or whatever, but it's so well done. And then the science of ultra. See, I'm on, on all these ultra and trail things. Yeah, uh, you're crossing over. You're a real hybrid <laughs> for our podcast. The science is transferable. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this new podcast I listen to called Inspired Souls. Which oh, I really oh that sounds really good. I really like the name. That, that's definitely on my top list there. So <laughs> yeah, I'd recommend that. 
Okay, so final question here is, what is your favorite post-run indulgence? So if I'm doing a long run uh, or a good workout, then I'll, I'll have a nice smoothie. And I've always made it up the night before and have it, and I take it with me, have it in my little bag with a nice pack in it, and I'll take it out after the, after the workout. So that will be, and I wouldn't call it an indulgence per se, but I really look forward to it. Uh, but it's, it's quite a healthy smoothie with like beets and avocados and things like that in it. None of my friends seem to enjoy as much as I do. But <laughs> I remember I share, shared one of my smoothies with, with uh, one of my buddies, Danny, and he took his first sip and he says, what is this crap? <laughs> <laughs> so I put a few more blueberries in for him when I make it, you know, uh, so that would be after a long run or a morning workout. But after a race, um, I think you know a salmon burger with yam fries, that would be a treat for me. That's a true West Coast meal. Yeah. Yummy. Wow. Well, you know what? I think most of our listeners here are probably thinking to themselves, why can't I have a doctor like this? <laughs> This has been such an amazing conversation. You've given, I think, us a lot to think about. And thank you for joining us on this podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And I wish you luck with the rest of your guests. Yeah. Thank you, Wayne. I just wanted to to close by thanking you for, you know, your camaraderie and for tirelessly giving back to the sport that we all love and for setting the bar so very high so that uh, myself and everyone that you come in contact with can follow in your footsteps. So again, thank you for giving so freely of your time tonight. And uh, I can't wait for a day where we can run together again soon. Looking forward to it. 